0: show you a better way you don't have to be face in the crowd Hey folks, this is Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life, if times get tougher, even if they don't. Coming to you once again from Arlington, Texas. Today with episode 552 of the Survival Podcast. Uh, Scratch that, 553 of the Survival Podcast. Uh, It is November 17th, 2010, and that means that uh, we're rocking on for Thanksgiving. I'm going to have to do a show on cooking for Thanksgiving, I think, uh, the week of. Some different ideas I have. i try to throw some cool things in here around the holidays. Today's show is going to be cool. I promised you a cool show, and what I'm going to do today are ten ways, some you've probably thought of, some you may have done, and some you've probably never thought of, ten ways of testing your preps, and some cool stuff for those of you that have kids that aren't really into this, that you can actually, like, you'll probably get some resistance until you're in the middle of it, and then it'll be kind of fun. So this will be stuff that you can do whether you're single, whether you're a married person, uh, whether you're a married person with kids, whether you're a grandparent with grandkids coming around once in a while to do something cool, uh, you name it, you'll be able to adapt most of these to fit, uh, your situation. And hey, that's something we've never done before. We talked about a basic drill one time. That'll even be in this one, but uh, I don't think I've ever done anything quite like this. So I'm trying to come up with new stuff, fun stuff, cool stuff, ways to keep survival, preparedness, uh, things like that, self sufficiency, self reliance. Not only, in, you know, kind of like the ball, you're keeping your eye on the ball, but keep the game fun. Because if we keep the game fun and engaging and we see how it benefits us today, we'll stick with it. And when the shit hits the fan, we're going to be ready to deal with the crisis situation because we're going to be prepared and we're going to be not just physically prepared as far as having all the stuff, but mentally and emotionally and spiritually prepared. I think that's very important. Ways to test your preps. Um, I have these ten ways. Let's start out with one I talked about a long time ago. A very long time ago, uh, back before I even put numbers in the episodes of the show, it was that long ago. So this was probably episode 8 or something like that, and I didn't even number them back then. And that is what I call the self-induced power shutdown. Now that Lucy. we're sitting around at home, and maybe we planned for this, and we could do this a variety of ways. One way, we could do it in a real-world scenario. Dad or mom goes outside and lifts up the, uh, the, the cover on the, uh, the electrical breaker, looks at the big switch, it says main power. It's in the on position, click. It goes into the off position. What I don't like about that is that even though it is real world, it's what you would really deal with, it will cause you to have to worry about your food spoiling. Now, in a real world situation, would you have to do that? Yes. Uh, but, and this is a key but, in a, in a drill you're really looking to test everything else as much as you can because what you would be doing in that real-world scenario with the food we'll get to later, and a lot of that would be cooking it so that it'll make it through a certain period of time because it'll last longer cooked than it will raw. And that may not be the best way to test your preps. Now, you might want to mentally run that scenario. What would we do? But so that this can be a somewhat enjoyable experience, especially with kids in the house and things like that, you may want to take that one stress factor out. So the other way to do this is, and there's a couple ways to do it. One is you know, kind of on the honor system, right? Um, you just turn, don't, don't use anything electric. The problem with that is, and you'll find this out when the power's out for real, um, you'll find this when the water's out for real, that it's so in in us to just flip a switch that we'll be doing it even if we're not trying to cheat. So kind of the middle ground is you should know your power breaker anyway. You should know which switches turn off which things. And what you can do is throw every switch in the power breaker to the off position except the switch that runs the power to your kitchen and, and therefore your your, uh, your refrigerator freezer. And if you're like me and you have external power out in the garage and you're running a deep freezer out there, you'd leave that, that particular circuit on as well, turn all the other circuits off. It's up to you in this scenario whether you go without water or not. And the way to go without water, I don't like the idea of shutting the main water off. I guess that could be part of your press. There could be times when that's necessary, so you might want to learn how to do that, but I don't think it's really necessary to do. Uh, what I suggest you do is just get a big old piece of duct tape, put a big old piece of duct tape over your faucets, and if that's if you want to go without water. But just, and maybe this is the first time you do this, you plan for this. All right, so we're going to do this on Uh, Saturday evening, or we're going to do this on Thursday evening, and we're going to be without until Friday morning. And you're going to live without the power on. And or or water as well. And the big thing that I want you to do is I don't want you to kind of like suffer through it. What you need to do is anytime like you have just a kid being a brat or something, and you just don't want to be put through additional stress over a test, if you have to capitulate on something, write it down. So that you'll be prepared to not have to, you know, to, to be able to deal with it when it's not available. A lot of these are more about finding the holes than just doing it because you want to prove that you can. I think that's a huge. It's also about mental preparation. I talked about mental, emotional, and spiritual preparation. I'm not talking about religion when I talk about spiritual preparation. I'm talking about whatever spirituality means to you, whether it's, you know, uh, you, you, your Conventional church-going spirituality or your individual, whatever that is, those three units of a human being work together. And I think even a person that considers them an atheist, uh, considers himself an atheist, has some level of what I would still call a spirituality, an inner belief. And the way those three dynamics work together, so that when this happens, when you do have to deal with this, and it may not be a day, Right It may not be because some clown with a backhoe you know dug up an electrical main two roads over. It may be a real scenario where you know calling the power company, expecting it back on in a few hours isn't going to work. And when you're in that scenario, if you, the more times you put yourself through things like this, the more you'll be prepared to deal with them not just from having all the stuff you need, but emotionally and mentally, and that can never be more true than with your children. You're going to hear me talk a lot about you, preppers with kids. a lot of this is for you today. Um, when you have the scenario go on where, hey, the power's out and the kids are scared, hey, you know, mommy and daddy did this with you before. Remember we did that and we sat on the floor and we read books or whatever? We're gonna do that now. And you take the fear away. Because you are gonna have enough stress to deal with in a real, you know, a real disaster. Whether it's, it's a, a Tito Walkie type event, you know, the end of the world as we know it type of event, or it's a regional disaster that's gonna be very acute for you. For instance, we had an ice storm last year where we had people in the, in the, you know, like northwestern, northeastern Arkansas up into Kentucky and up and all through there that went without power for two to three weeks during a very, very cold time of the year. So if you're dealing with that and you have to deal with all the things that come with it, your kids, the less afraid they are, the less complaining they are, the less whining they are, the less scared they are, uh, the less disruptive they are. That's one less thing for you to take care of. So the more you can embolden them and empower them so that they can walk through these events, the better you'll be able to do all the things you're going to have to do as head of household, adult, that type of thing. So a lot of this is about that. So self-induced power shutdown is really a good way to do that. Kind of taking you to another level, camping. Uh, we did a whole show on camping, and I'm talking about different camping right now, though. You know, if we're going to camp, typical camping trip, what do we do? Well, we all load up in the car and we drive out somewhere. And this takes logistical planning. And um, it, it does have some real advantages because whatever you didn't bring, you don't have. And usually there's a little camper store if you're in a state park or something down the road. But, you know, once that closes at 9 o'clock or whatever, and, you know, it's, it's kind of like small-town America out there in the state park system or the national park system, you, you can't get anything at least till morning. And if you go far enough out, you can't get anything but what you have with you. So that's good. But it also requires time, and it requires expense. But if you have basic camping gear, and you do that on occasion, what about the backyard campout? What about we just pick a spot right out in the middle of the backyard, we put our fire pit there so that we don't burn the grass down, and then we have our campfire, and we all get together as a family, we go camping in the backyard for a night. And once we close the door of the house, we can't go back in. Or, if we do go back in, we have to take a notebook with us, we have to write down what we took out. This is probably more productive, by the way. We have to write down what we got out of the house and what we brought out. And it is a good time to take away Internet connectivity from the kids and from the adults too, right? Um, I don't think it's necessary that you take away electronics, I don't think you should be running an extension cord with a television set and a Nintendo Wii out to the tent, because that's not realistic. But the handheld game systems and all, you let the kids have that. You might not let them have it the entire time, but remember, we're trying to recreate a real-world scenario. Now, what you might do, if you're sneaky like me, is you might make sure that they can't get to the batteries easily, and you might make sure that that game got turned on for a while. And you might try to set it up so that maybe they can screw around with that thing for about an hour. And the batteries can go out. And if they have their own little bug out bag or whatever, if they have batteries in there, they can shove them back in the stinking thing and turn it back on. If they don't, maybe you say, look, uh, that's one of the things that dad's not going to let you get out of the house. Because you're supposed to carry your own backup batteries. Makes sense? See, now we start to teach with real-world consequences that aren't that bad because now yeah, we're going to toast marshmallows or something. But I think if you take that step, and that's kind of a cool one. I know my buddy Brian did this with his family, um, Brian Black from ITS Tactical, this summer. Uh, he, his wife, and, and their and their son Trey camped out in their backyard just for fun. But I bet you they learned some things when they did it. And it, it is kind of a cool thing, and it is kind of a step. Like if you're going to start doing camping trips Long, longer distance camping trips, some, you know, maybe camping trips that are not quite, we park the car and set the tent up next to it, but maybe we take all our stuff and we hike in four or five miles. Maybe we hike in one, one miles mile is enough to get away from where it's not convenient just to go grab something else. If you're gonna do that stuff, especially even with kids that are in like, you know, the, the nine, ten, twelve year area where they can physically handle it. It's still an emotional and kind of a spiteful thing that kids get when they lose the things they expect all the time. This is a good first step. And you will learn a lot about what you need when you're doing without. Even if, Again, even if you can go in and get it, that list becomes our shore-up list. So if we leave, if we leave and we're going to have to live this way for a while, these are all the things that we didn't think of that we're going to need. There is no substitute for practice. I had somebody recently comment about the Veterans Day episode and how they don't understand how I can be so anti-government, because I'm really not anti-government. I'm anti-government abuse, and I'm anti a lot of things our government does, and then be such a positive supporter of the military, because the military emboldens the government to be able to do these things. And if you, you, know, if you feel that way, there's only so much I can say, but the reality is very few people that's ever served in the military feel that way. Because theory that you read about is one thing, and practice that you do is another. And there's no substituting one for the other. This is a way to start stepping into the practice realm of survivalism and preparedness and emergency planning without it being really inconvenient and actually being quite fun. Um, The next one, this is kind of a real step up and this is something you'll have to have your community formed around to be able to do. I know the folks over at AR-15 on their survival board planned to do this at one time. I don't know whether they ever actually did it but I know they had a plan to do it and what they were going to do is get together a group. And they were going to have one guy that was like a a group leader captain. But his only real role as a captain was to secure a location that the people could go to. Because obviously in a real world bug out situation, uh, you're going to be a squatter if you have to. You're going to go wherever is available. But in a drill situation, you can't just go, you know, set up on the side of a highway or, or just go walk back into the woods and do this. So they, they actually had a, you know, a campground set up, a date set up, and an area uh, set up for the right number of people, so enough sites. Primitive camping, though no water, no electricity, just flat-out primitive camping. And the only reason that the captain set it up and knew the date this was going to happen was so that one person could have it prearranged where there was a place to go to. The people that were in the group didn't even know the location. So it wasn't like they knew that sometime in the next three weeks, I'm going to have to go to this place. All they knew is that sometime in the next so many weeks, there was going to be an alert called. And I, you know, this is something you probably would have to say, well, at least it's going to be on a weekend. It's going to be a one night thing or something like that, but you don't really know when. And then all of a sudden it's time and the captain picks up the phone and makes a call. And everybody in the group starts chain-calling the other people. And the shit has hit the fan. That's the call. This is where you need to meet us. And they give them a location. We'll see you there. Goodbye. Bring what you got. And get by for a day or two like that together in a wilderness camping type situation. And I think that's really awesome. I really do. I think that it's it's a big step. I think it's one that a lot of people, it's going to be too much of a step for some people to take some people are not that tied into a community where they feel comfortable doing that with other people uh, and it doesn't have to be a big thing though this could be you and one other family and you could do two a year and you're in charge of one and they're in charge of the other so it's a surprise for both of you I think it's better with at least a small group four or five parties but you could break it down to that level um, again this is a pretty advanced drill it's kind of like an army alert we used to have where we actually deployed uh, we had times where we kind of loaded everything up and they would you know stand to inspect your gear and you didn't know whether you were going somewhere or not and uh, then they would say okay stand down and go back to life and you can put all your gear away and go do your job uh, on post for for that day you know and then there were other alerts where uh, we did the same thing and then they loaded us up on birds and at some there was there was one we had in particular in panama well, we were all loading up on uh, on the, uh, what do you call them? the Chinooks. And we had, you know, the mechanics, instead of us loading up on the Chinooks, we had all the rigs, and we're pointing the rigs north toward, you know, northern Central America, up toward Costa Rica, and we're driving. And we've got everything with us. Where the hell could we possibly be deploying to at Costa Rica on dirt? I mean, what the heck's going on? I mean, we were starting to have conversations among ourselves going, what is going on? So we're supporting the deployment of the birds with a limited uh, complement of vehicles from the motor pool, uh, wreckers and, and tool trucks and things like that. Uh, and we got with the trucks, I think, about 20 miles from the Costa Rican border. And uh, they gave a stand-down call, and we turned the combo around and came back. And the birds just kind of flew out over the, the ocean and circled around a bit, and then they came back in. But we had the whole unit fully deployed. We could have went anywhere, and um, it was an interesting experience, and it taught us a lot about the holds. That's what this is like. This is like that, you know, in quotes, light, right? The light version of a full military alert. You're actually deploying to somewhere with what you can take with you, and only with what you can take with you. And um, I think you would probably find out you're not taking enough, or you might find out you're taking too much. Either way, I think it's a great way to test your preps. Let's look at a much easier one. Since that's kind of a complicated one, that's gonna be disruptive to your life. That some people are gonna look at that and go, with my job, I can't do that. If the shit is the fan, you know, the heck with my job. But, jeez. You know, I'm not gonna do this, uh, in a day to day and lose my job. So, let's go something much easier to do. What about this? You prepare one meals for one week. So from, let's say, Sunday morning, Saturday evening of the next week, every meal in the house can be only prepared with long-term storable foods. And you could you could expand that to say, and it, or grown in the backyard. If it's fresh and I can go out and cut it off a vine, it can be part of the meal. But I can't use anything from the refrigerator or the freezer or anything like that for one week. So when you do this, make sure that like things that, 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 you know, run out in the refrigerator, particularly eggs and milk, you use them up in advance, do a little bit of planning with this. But then, okay, we want milk? Well, we can have milk, but we have to go get the dried milk, the powdered milk, or the milk substitute, or something like that to do that. You want to cook something that requires eggs? Well, we can do that, but you've got to use the egg powder. And I think you know a week of this will teach you a lot about what you can do to add variety. It'll teach you what it really would be like if you had to live on that stuff for a month or more. It will, again, mentally, emotionally, spiritually prepare you for the reality should you ever have to actually deal with it. And it's not that bad. And it will be kind of fun, and it will help you get creative and what you can do here's one thing you can do during this drill I have no issues with you doing this anything you don't have that you think this would be a good item to put in here and it's a long-term store but it's available from Kroger or you know Acme or whatever supermarkets around you you can get in your hot little car and drive because they're not simulating a disaster we're simulating what living off our preps so you can drive out there get that item bring it home and cook with it no problem as long as it can store for six months or more without refrigeration. That would be my cutoff for this drill. We've actually done this one, and this one was actually really cool. And we st- I started to get really creative toward the end of that week with what we could do. And I started to learn what could be done with leftovers, like taking uh, leftover mashed potatoes made with potato flakes and turning them into like a potato pancake. You know, go out to the the garden, pull up an onion, chop an onion up, mix it in with that, add a little bit of flour to make it sticky. Uh, And I actually think with those, I used a little bit of the egg powder. Uh, Didn't, like, mix it all up, just kind of sprinkled it in there to help with the moisture and made them into these little patties. Dumped a little oil in the skillet, uh, cast iron skillet, and fried and browned those up. Those were good. I mean, that was like, I could eat this any day. But kind of like I thought back to my grandmother using leftover potatoes and then looked around with what I had. But without doing that, I would have never realized that these things could be put together that way and utilized that way. So one week of living off long-term storables. And again, any delta that I said for you, any bogey that I said for you, that you're like, dude, I don't want to go that long, do it for three days. Do it for a weekend. From Friday night through Sunday night, you're going to live off your off. off Long-term storables only. doesn't even have to be preps. This doesn't mean necessarily you're breaking into the mountain house, though you might find yourself doing that. If you do it for a week, here's what's going to happen. Man, I'd really, really like some meat tonight, and not something that came out of kind of a soft, mushy can, like some canned beef or canned chicken like we did last night in the chicken soup or whatever. (laughs) And you're going to go out there and you're like, mountain house pork chops. And baby, them things are going to be on the grill. And you might end up with quite a bit of pork chops left over out of that big number 10 can, and you might be eating pork chops for the next month, uh, once or twice a week. Uh, but you're gonna really enjoy them, and you're gonna start to understand why you're doing what you're doing. Cause that's what this is really all about. It's not just, it's not just testing it. It's not just finding the holes and filling them. It's teaching yourself why I do this. And by day four of Rice and Beans, and you're digging into a juicy pork chop, and it, they're, they're nice pork chops, guys. They're one of my favorite things from Mountain House. You're going to be like, you know what, this is uh, this is a hell of a comfort item right now. So consider that one, and again, you don't have to do the full seven days. Uh, next one, in a real long-term disaster scenario, one of the most incredibly important skills that you're going to have is the ability to barter when things start to run out, or when things just like, even if you have a barter situation, you have to have more than you need of something. Understand that. So let's say I've stored tons of certain things, but there's some other things I'd like to have. Well, I don't have to go out and find somebody that doesn't have what I have, has what I want, and create a deal where we can make an exchange. And that could either be done with some form of currency or items. How do we simulate this on a day-to-day basis? Well, you know, a lot of times when we have big get-togethers, people do what's called a trade blanket, and that's kind of cool. And a trade blanket, if you've never done it, uh, you get like a big camp out together of a bunch of people. You lay a blanket down, and somebody walks up and throws a big, beautiful tomahawk in the middle of the... Uh, middle of the blanket, then anybody that wants that tomahawk, that has anything they'll offer for trade, walks up to the blanket and sets it down. And the guy that put the original item up can take one of the items or say he doesn't want any of them. And then, you know, if he says he doesn't want any, one of the people that threw something up there might add another thing. Or, you know, maybe they, they say to somebody that's got something on the blanket, look, I'll give you this for that. And then they take that item they didn't really want, and then they add it to the I- another item and they say, okay, now will you take it? Things like that. Well, that's not real easy to do on any given Saturday, right? So how do we do this? You go down to your local flea market and you set a discount bogey. You say, I will not take anything here, whether I want it or not, unless I get at least fifteen percent off the asking the initial asking price. Or twenty. You know, and twenty I think is kind of a good good place to go with that. And that may be looking at something you really would like to have and not getting it. And please don't buy crap you don't want or need just to do this exercise. But if you go down to a lot of flea markets, you'll see some items, and you'll be like, yeah, we could use that. We could add that to our preps. I could use that as a gift. Heck, this is school. I'm, I'm learning something here. I could buy this stuff and, and donate it to Goodwill and give it to charity or whatever. Uh, but going to a flea market and visiting a variety of different booths, talking to people and saying, yeah, I want that, but what do you want for it? And no matter if it's even, I don't care if it's stupid cheap, whatever the answer is, that's kind of expensive. Um, and then throw them at a price that's you know sixty percent of the asking price. That way they can kind of say, look, man, I can't go that low, but I could do this, and start getting some haggling going, and start learning to do math like that in your head, because dividing by you know taking increments of ten percent off is really easy. Five bucks fifty cents, right? So if you want to do twenty percent of five dollars, it's a dollar. And, and, and you know, be able to. You have to be able to do that. And you know, all this complicated math we teach our kids in school. I don't think we spend enough time teaching them basic social math, where you can do things like that. I have people, you know, that I've been with that I go to a, you know, a store and we see like twenty five percent off, and they like go, "Wow, I wonder how much off that is." Well, you dolt, it's a hundred dollar item, so it's twenty five bucks. You know, I, I I realize there's a lot of people like that. But it's not just about being able to do that math. It's being able to do it and then integrate it into the conversation. And to realize, well, if I want 20 off, I need to ask for 40. So I take what I need and I double it and I make that as an offer. What's the guy going to do? Shoot me? You know? And you'll start to realize, you'll start haggling over all kinds of things if you do this once in a while. The problem that I see is a lot of people aren't comfortable doing this. And I see it a lot when when I've used to travel to Mexico often just for vacations. Um... It's kind of expected. The price is high so that you can haggle. The guy knows you're going to want to haggle. And you see a lot of tourists, they overpay for stuff because they just don't even feel comfortable asking. And I'll tell you what, I know some people are going to get mad at me, but ladies, you guys are not as good at this as men are. Men are real quick to go, that seems high. You know? That seems high. I've seen uh John Stossel did some stuff with do women overpay for two things, car repairs and buying vehicles. And the average uh price that a man paid for buying a new car was 15% less than a woman. 15%. Let's do a little bit of our math there folks and let's say what is 15% if I'm buying a $30,000 car. Well, 10% is 3,000, and then half of that is how much 1500. That's $4500 on a $30,000 car. Why? Because women, and the women that were part of this experiment were asked, why didn't you ask for more off? Why didn't you hold out? Why didn't you say no? And they said, because he was so nice and he worked so hard to get me a good deal in the first place. He didn't work hard to get you a good deal. He made you feel good about buying a car. And I'm not putting you down, ladies, because I think you actually are much better at this than men are. I think a woman, as a bargain hunter, is a much better... Uh, uh, overall, generalistically, much better than men at haggling and bargaining. Once they get past that initial "I don't want to not be nice" feeling, right? Because men are we're jerks. When it really comes down to it, men are jerks. Come on, you know some of the ways we act, especially when we get together in deer camp. We're, we're really kind of obnoxious. Women try to be nice. That's a good thing. But in a barter situation, you have to be willing to make sure you're getting your money's worth, so to speak. And uh, so work on that one. Just go to a flea market and deal. Learn to get comfortable with this before your life depends on it, before you're really giving something up in return for something else. Make sure you get comfortable with that dynamic. Um, The next one is perform what I I talked about earlier, kind of the load-up drill. This is where, remember I talked about we all have a team captain and he calls an alert and we all load our gear up and we go somewhere and we meet? Well, what we do is we have somebody in the house that's a captain, and mom and dad can take turns being the person that gets to control this, and whoop, shit has hit the fan. We gotta bug out. We gotta get out of here now. Let's load up like we're leaving. You load everything up, but you don't go anywhere. And after you load everything up, you say to yourself, let's look at everything we loaded up. What did we miss? What did we forget to do? There's certain shutdown procedures that need to be done in the home. So one of the things you can do is, like, if you're going to shut the power down to the house, which might be something you want to do, depending on how long and whatever, you you kind of make a note that that was done so that you don't actually do it. But there's a, there, there's a tremendous value from this because, <clears throat> let me put it this way, if you ever get to a point where you actually have to abandon your home, you actually have to bug out, you're not going to be happy about it. And you're going to be scared, and there's going to be dangers. And there's going to be things that are sacrificial that you have to give up, and there's going to be decisions that you have to make, and you're going to be under an inordinate amount of stress. Um, I don't care if it's basically you've got it's a long telegraphed punch coming like a, a hurricane, and you've got a couple days to put everything together, or it's an, an imminent situation. Either way, there's going to be stress. There's just going to be more in one than the other. If you've never dealt with this mentally before, emotionally and physically, if you've never figured out what the limits to what you can carry, what you can take really are, if you've never had to look at something and go, you know what, I really have an emotional attachment to that, but it actually has no um, zero uh, tactical use, it has zero uh, functional use, and it's large and bulky, and it just doesn't fit, and I can't take that. If you've never put yourself through that before, and now all of a sudden, It's bad. The sirens are blaring and you gotta go. You got 15 minutes to get out. The kids are crying and the dog is barking and your, your, your husband's yelling at you, come on honey, we gotta go. Or your wife's yelling at you, honey, we gotta go. And all of that's going on around you and you've never put yourself through it before. It's going to be a lot harder to do the right thing and to have confidence in yourself to do the right thing. I think the load-up drill is probably one of the best things you can do. You don't even have to load it up. Throw it in a pile on the floor in the in the middle of the living room and then sit down and go through it. And then if you look at it and you look at your car, ask yourself, would this really fit? Would we really be able to carry all this? And maybe it is time to load it all up. But I think the more times you do it and the more times you go through it and the more times you ask yourself, and then you tie it in with your other drills, tie it in with your backyard camping trip or your actual camping trip or your your, your lights-out drills and say, what do we not have here? What are we missing? And then you become both you know logistically prepared and emotionally prepared to deal with these situations. I try to keep this show very uplifting. I try to keep it very energized. I try to keep it very exciting. I try to keep in your mind that if we do all these things the right way and nothing goes wrong, we are still going to be better off. And that's why we're going to do it, because it's in our best interest to whether we go down a bad road or we stay on a positive road. doesn't matter. We're better off. But the reality is that bad road sometimes is really bad. That bad road sometimes is potentially lethal, Or even going to be lethal to some people we care about and yet maybe we're left behind. Or people are hurt, people are injured, people are scared, people are hungry. There is a dark side to humanity. And in some of these scenarios, we're going to see it. I'm doing this show today because I want you to take at least one or two of these things, some of them are easy to do, and do them, and start to get yourself in a mindset where you're prepared to deal with this beyond just, I have all this stuff. You know I care about you folks. I care about every person who listens to this show. I hope that most of the information I give you about the actual disaster side of preparation you never need. But I also know that many of you will at some point. And I want you to be ready to put it into action. Um, the next one is... Here's an easy one. The systems shut down after dinner for a unique family night. And this is just... It's a bonding experience. You're not doing without that much, but... Computers, off. Cell phones, off. Internet, off. Dad, the way to, you know, make sure the internet stuff doesn't get used, you take away the cell phones, go shut the DSL modem off. Or the cable modem off. Or what have you. Unplug the phones. You know? If it's that big of an emergency, people will find you. Leave, you know, one cell phone on and up on top of the refrigerator if you're that worried about an emergency call coming in. And then you don't have to do it without anything other than lighting. That's it. No lights. Lights go out in the house. Candles get lit, lanterns get turned on, uh, no TV, you know, that that what have you. But you don't have to shut all the electricity off. The refrigerators there if you want to cook something, you can cook it. I want this to be fun. Books, storytelling. You can use radio. No TV, but you can use radio. But you have to use a radio that is on batteries or rechargeable or or something like that. You can't use a radio that's plugged into the wall. You can't turn the stereo system on. It's just a good old-fashioned night at home with the family, dealing without for one evening until everybody goes to bed. You don't even have to worry about keeping warm or keeping cold. You know, you can leave the the, the thermostat on. And people would say, well, this isn't enough. I mean, you're you're just not putting people through uh, doing without enough. I mean, this isn't really a big deal. Well, that's the point. That's the point. It's not a big deal. You're going to find out for a 14-year-old girl that wants to text her boyfriend, what a big deal it is. But you're also going to find out if you can get her engaged in the situation, all of a sudden, Tommy will wait till tomorrow. You know, if Tommy can't wait till tomorrow, he's not that important. If you're going to give her an opportunity to tell Tommy, I'm not going to be able to text you from like 7 o'clock until the next morning. You're going to take away her phone, and you're going to hide it. And if you're smart, I promise, hold on. To- okay, I'm not even going to edit that out, guys. That's You just heard why. Uh, no one's getting into this house uh, without me knowing about it. Uh, that was the uh, FedEx guy dropping some gear off that I'd ordered from Cheaper Than Dirt, actually. But let's go back to this system shutdown. I was saying about the, uh, you know, the young girls with the cell phone, the young boys with the cell phones too. If you're smart dads, moms, when you take the phone away, if it's a kind you can take the battery out of, I know your iPhone, um, you can't really do that, but anything else, uh, most of the phones you can take the battery out. You're gonna hide the phone in one place, you're gonna hide the battery in another place, cause, man, them kids will go sniff those things out. But, you just sit around and listen to the radio, read books, tell stories, make popcorn, do whatever, spend a night together as a family, and do without the most basic things that you would ever have to do without. The TV, the computer, and, and things like that. And I know a lot of people say, well, I don't even, you know, I don't even have a TV. There's families out there that don't have, we don't even watch TV. Or we have TV, but we only have, you know, the, the the basic, you know, antenna channels that come in for the TV set. By the way, I think that's a mistake if you don't have at least the antenna TV. Uh, because there's a lot of information you can get from the news during a disaster that a TV can bring to you. But the reality is in a lot of families that they do without TV or don't watch TV much... Yeah, the TV has ceased to be the thing that takes everybody's attention, but you know what it's replaced by? The Internet. So I'm not watching TV, but all of a sudden I'm on Hulu watching TV shows, right? Now that's fun. as a cost-saving measure. I'm not putting that down, but for this night, all those things have to go away. And once those things go away, all of a sudden a family starts to realize... That there's a lot of communication and a lot of interaction that's gone away. And parents, this is where you have to be careful. You cannot force this. The parents get excited about this one. They think it's going to be great. And the kids are just going to embrace it and they're going to be happy and smiley. And then they're not, they're not at first. Some will, but most of them are not. But if you just go with the flow and you don't get too emotionally attached to the outcome, they'll come around. Because once they realize, okay, we're doing this, you know, and if you give them a week's notice that this is going to happen, no, you're not going to go spend the night with your friend or at grandma's on that night either. You're going to be here. Then they have more time to, don't do this, hey, guess what, Billy, you just got home from school on Friday, we're shutting all the stuff off and we're going to stay home tonight and you're not going anywhere. That is a little bit more real world, but hey, this is the soft one. This is the easy one. This is the fun one, right? So... I really think we can learn a lot from this, not just about what we don't have, but about how to deal with the crisis together as a family. And that's so important because, again, in all of the scenarios we have to deal with, being able to take especially children and reference them back to a point where we've done this before, it's not that big a deal. Yeah, half the roof's missing now, but we put up a tarp and, you know, a tornado took it off, but the structure's still sound, and we're going to get through this. That's a horrible thing to happen. But it does happen. I've seen it. I've seen it less than a mile from my house. I've seen houses with the roofs ripped off. I've seen less than a mile from my house from one tornado. I saw houses down to the foundation gone. But yet, across the street, there was a house with nothing but a half of a roof missing. We never know which house we're going to be in. And that's a metaphor, because it doesn't have to be a tornado. It could be something else. But we do know that, as a family, we're going to have to deal with the situation. And a lot of the things that we come to depend on on a day-to-day basis for our mental engagement is going to go away. And simply unplugging from that once in a while. I actually think this one is a good thing to do once a month for family health. I really do. I think that it's a good family therapy. Every third Saturday, everybody's home, and this is what we do. And if you don't like it, Johnny, I'm sorry. Get your fill of Nintendo and your friends the other 29 to 30 days a month. Because on this night, this is what we're going to do. Take turns reading. And a lot of times people like different books. You know, The kids like one kind of book, dad likes another kind of book, mom likes another kind of book. But don't everybody get in your book and and just unplug from each other. Take turns. Everybody take 30 minutes reading what they're reading. Sharing what's important to them. These are the types of things in a long-term hunker down scenario we're going to have to do anyway. So we might as well learn to do them now and learn to enjoy them now and get the lessons that we need to get from them now before we're in a situation where times are really tough. The next one, the spouse face-off challenge. I like this one. I just came up with this one this morning. Um, Completely original as far as I know. If somebody else did it before, that's fine. You can tell me I'm wrong, but I think I created it as of right now. This is how this works. You sit down with your spouse. And you get some index cards. And maybe you get six. And on each one, you write up a task. And then each spouse gets three cards. And over the next three weeks, month, two weeks, whatever time limit you set, at any time, one spouse can come to the other spouse, hand them a card, and they have to take care of that problem. Now, these are many tasks But they could take an hour to complete. But they might represent a bigger catastrophe, and you're just doing one small piece. So, Let's say we're walking along, all of a sudden, Dorothy walks up to me and goes, Honey, guess what? I go, Ah, oh, no. I'm doing the middle of the, No, sorry, disaster card. Here you go. And I'd look at the disaster card. What does it say on it? The power is out and is not expected to come back for a long time. There's a lot of meat in the freezer. You know? Go select one item and cure it into jerky or bill tom. Well, here's the problem with that. Meat's frozen, Right? So, Dorothy, knowing that this is going to be the issue, has already selected one big old hunk of meat, put that meat in the refrigerator two days ago, and I thought I was cooking it for dinner on Saturday, but here it is Friday, and I'm making Biltong on the fly. And that's representing doing it all. You know? And you could come up with any scenario, big or small, to put on your cards and hand to each other. I think this is a great game. And I think that you're going to be really care And, you know, here's the best one. Here's the best way to make this interesting. You write up your five cards, your six cards, your four, even numbers probably best, four, six, eight, whatever number of tasks. You think about them together, and you think, he might have to do that, she might have to do that. And as the kids are old enough to do some of these things, you let the kids be in on this game, too. But when we're done, we don't get to pick what cards we want. We don't get to hand the cards to the other person. We get to, I'll pick a number. Flip a coin, whatever, get the order of choice, and then I pick a card, she picks a card, he picks a card. I pick a card, she picks So, you don't know what you're going to end up with. So, that task that's kind of crappy that you really don't want to do, that you think you're sticking the other person with, you just might end up with it. Interesting idea, isn't it? I'm sure that people can come up. This is a great one for the comments. Come up with ideas, folks. to so write on those cards. Put them in the comments section. I gave you one idea. I'm sure you can come up with more. Instead of me listing a bunch of them, why don't we do crowdsourcing on this one? Get on the comments section. Today. Go to the survivalpodcast.com. Go in the comments. If you want to be anonymous, make up a name. Call yourself forget Mike. Right? And in the address, you know, you have to put an email address in. Put mike at fakeemail.com. I won't care. I really won't. That's just how WordPress works. And come up with the ideas of what you could put on those cards. I think that's a great one. And I do think that's my original one. All right, now. Here's the next one I have. This one is a lot like the system power down that we talked about, with a little bit more or less, depending on how you look at it, going on with it. So we just talked about how we would have a system power down on a Saturday night. So Saturday night, the cell phones go off, everything goes off, what have you. On bug out bag night, dad or mom or one of the kids, let the kids be in control of this once in a while, says emergency bug out. And everybody goes and grabs their bug out kit. Kids have kits. Parents have Everybody has their kit. Everybody meets on the floor of the living room. And we're going to live in the living room other than use the bathroom until tomorrow morning. The only stuff we can use is the stuff in our bag. That means the kids can have their cell phones if they put them in their bag. That means the kids can have their Nintendo, little Game Boy, if they put it in their bag. That means the kids can have their extra batteries if they put them in their bag. Got it? See, this is kind of cool. And you can still say, okay, well, right now we're going to do this. And what you can do, here's a great way to not fight about it. Everybody gets to be in charge of each hour. So, hour one, if you have four kids, let's say Tommy, or two kids, four would be kind of redundant on this show, but let's say you got Tommy and Jenny for your two kids. Hour one, Tommy's in charge. Hour two, dad's in charge. Hour three, Jenny's in charge. Our four moms in charge. And it reverts back until it's time to go to sleep. So they decide what the group's going to do. See? Democratic, fair. Kids actually hate fair, by the way, folks. All these kids are like, I don't think it's fair. They really don't want fair, because fair is equality, right? Fair is equally distributed. And they think they want fair. What they really mean is, I don't get what I want. That's what's not fair. But anyway, you give them fair. And that means that when they say, well, for the next hour, I think we should all be able to do whatever we want, fine. Fine take the time and unplug yourself so you're not trying to control the situation. But when it comes around to your turn, you know what we're going to do now. Dad's going to read a book. Mom's going to read a book. Kids are going to read a book to mom and dad. You know, we're going to make, you know, we're going to make do with whatever we have. And we're going to do whatever we come up with, but you know, we're going to sit around and tell stories, whatever, but make sure that the kids have some ownership in it and you'll get a lot more buy in that way. And that way they can play around and text Tommy, you know, about, you know, oh my, OMG, you won't believe what she said about, whatever. And get that out of their system, because as long as the cell network's up, they're going to be able to do that based on what they've brought with them. So give them ownership of that. So bug out bag night in the living room. And that means you're not going to, once it's called, whatever you wanted out of the fridge, I hope you got it, because you're eating your cliff Bar whatever out of your bag. See, and this can be cool, and this can still be relatively comfortable. And you can even say when it's bedtime, everybody go sleep in their bed if you want to. Or you can camp out on the floor. It's up to you how you want to do this. I think the camping out on the floor as a family is a really cool thing to do on a night like this. But I don't care if you go back to bed. But just if you take that part of the night where everybody does their own thing, and everybody's apart, and everybody has whatever the hell they want, and you put a limitation on it, Again, family bonding, emotional, spiritual, physical preparation, logistical preparation. You're going to realize, hey, I really should have this in my bag. Your kids are really going to realize that. And they're going to start you know, making some trade-offs and making some choices. And this way, it's not just they're going to be preppers while they're under your roof. This kind of stuff, folks, when your kids leave, and they might go through the 21-year-old, yo, I'm going to go party phase, and forget some of this stuff for a while. Hopefully nothing too bad happens during that. But they're going to come back to it. You're going to plant this in them. Um, the last one is running what I call first aid and emergency flashcard drills. And this is kind of like the spouse face-off, except it's a little bit more specific to acute emergencies and first aid, and it's more about do you know what to do, rather than actually having to do it. So what you could do is you divide up a, a, a group of cards amongst the family. Um, that's having a heart attack. Horrific, but could happen. You know, just happened to one of my best friends. Unfortunately, no one was there. Uh, it might have turned out differently if there was somebody else there, but um, mom cut her hand. Uh, the house is on fire. Uh, the neighbor's house is on fire. Uh, the news people say that there's riots uh, just two blocks over. Everything you can come up with. Now, don't do this with kids that are too little. Or, like, take them out of the equation and just do this with the older kids and the parents. Uh, or when you ask the little kid what to do, pull the disasters back to the things that are a little less scary. Um, but try to get them involved as early as it works. And the way this game works is, you know, and this isn't we sit down and do this and just like, this is everybody has their own cards. They can walk up to anybody else in the family at any time. Hand them one. What would you do? You don't have to do it. You just have to explain what I would do. I would dial 911. I would make sure that this happens. I would go tell a neighbor, whatever it is. You know, uh, I would get out of the house. I would go here. This is where we would meet. Again, this is about running these scenarios mentally. And this is the, the good one about this is it's not any. It doesn't inconvenience anyone, so it can be an ongoing thing. Every, we can make you know, we can make one stack of cards and then make copies of them, and everybody can have the same cards. You can just go pick one anytime you want and hand it to somebody. You know, a great way to head off an argument. The two of you are about to start fighting with each other. Why don't you hand each other a card? I got to deal with this. That distracts us. But I don't want to. I want to fight. No, you don't get to fight. You got to do this. Remember, we have a deal. Oh, okay, let's see. I'm having a heart attack. Well, I would tell you, and you know what? We're not going to have an argument after that. <laughs> cool, huh? Um, kid is just. I want this. I want this. Oh wait, look up. Uh, house is on fire. You got to deal with the house being on fire. What would you do? It's not always going to work. It's not always going to be utopia, right? Sometimes the kid's going to throw it down. Mom, I don't want to do this right now. I don't want my thing. <laughs> but give it a shot, man. And I want to hear from you not only with the spouse face-off with tasks, but in the comments section today, I want to hear from you what emergency scenarios could you put on flashcards like this so that you could have this kind of family interaction going on on a regular basis. And those are my ten. I think they're pretty cool. I think this was a, I think this was a great show. Uh, I really had a lot of fun doing it, even when the dogs barked at the FedEx guy. Um, I hope that we come up with a lot of ideas with each other today. Let's make this one of the most commented on episodes of TSP ever. If you've never commented on the blog before, come up with an idea, go to thesurvivalpodcast.com, type it into the comments box and submit it. I bet we can come up with a ton of stuff that will help us come up with ways to test ourselves and form stronger bonds as families and be more prepared to deal with anything from a minor inconvenience to a major disaster and that's what it's really all about it's about you staying together as a family most disaster scenarios um, have this acute phase this thing that happens at first and if you're not taken out in the acute phase you're usually part of the aftermath the aftermath is where things get really bad Really horrific and really dangerous. Think about things this year. The Haitian earthquake. The ground shook. The buildings fell. And some people got crushed. You know what? The people that got crushed, their troubles were over when they got crushed. I'm glad I'm not one of them. I'm not saying they got out easy. I'm just saying there's not a whole lot for them to do because they're dead. The people that survived, they were the ones that started to do without resources. They're the ones that had to do without water, food, blankets, comfort items, medical supplies. They're the ones that had to try to put their families back together. See, if we don't keep the family, we lose everything. If we lose the family, we have nothing left. That's what holds humanity together is our family bonds. We're not like, you know, some animal species where the male mates and just goes off and the woman raises the kids till they're old enough to feed themselves and swats them on the butt or kicks them out of the nest like a bird or whatever and and, then they're just gone and we don't, we retain those relationships. And we retain them and we make people part of extended families that aren't related by blood. We choose friends that we see as brothers and sisters and cousins. You know, and we form those bonds. And those are the things that enable us as a species to survive where other species fail. Compassion. All the bravado bullshit on some of the forums. I'm gonna do this and I'm, you're not gonna do anything really. When it comes right down to it. If you give a damn about anybody other than put them first. You talk all, these guys that talk Billy badass and I know some of them that are married and they have like a four year old little girl. That four year old little girl is going to be a hell of a lot more important than proving you're a man to some other guy. You're going to want to be a man and support that kid. That's what it really comes down to. A lot of the bravado in our industry, in our world, in our space, in our niche is BS. Because we all bleed if you cut us. And if you cut us deep enough, we all die. And many of us accept that fact. And we're willing to deal with the emotional strain that comes with it. But when you turn and it's the person that we care about that you're going to cut, things are different. From a protectionist standpoint... But from an emotional standpoint, when we can't always get it right, we can't always be there, we can't always save the person that we care about. But the more prepared we are and they are, the more likely we are, if we are part of Aftermath, to get back together and to rebuild and put things back together. The ten ways that I gave you today, you don't have to do them all. I don't think anybody can probably pull them all all of them off in six months. I'd I'd be really shocked if you have to have a lot of flexibility and freedom to do them all. But you can pick two or three of them and you can do them and you can start to be better prepared emotionally, spiritually, and logistically for some of the things that may come. And you will build stronger family relationships. Kids will grumble and grice, but in the end, I've always found that kids in these scenarios end up having a lot of fun. And they start to realize all the things that they're missing out by being too tied in to the world of technology. And with that, this has been Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast. Helping you figure out how to live that better life, times get tough, or even if they don't. Children just can't pay. Nobody up there cares. They're leaving.